I was lost for the first time, so the story goes, as a child in the South Plains Mall of Lubbock, Texas. I was about four years old, and I was out shopping with my mother and my aunt in a jewelry store. It was one of those with the tall racks that spin. I remember being old enough to still see under these racks and needing to look up at the adults. I saw one woman with long, straight hair leave the store, and I mistook her for my aunt, and I followed her out the door. Feeling left behind, I followed her, and then I found myself in the middle of the mall, lost in a crowd of faces I did not recognize. I remember that moment as an impression of looking up, twirling around, and confused. My mother remembers the story a bit differently. <laughs> but fortunately, I didn't go very far, maybe 10 feet from the storefront, and I was easily spotted from within. I remember the panic in my mother's voice as she came up to me and found me, and she said, why did you run off? Why did I run off? You left me. I was trying to find you. We were both a little bit freaked out and in tears, overjoyed to be back together and safe, connected, found. Now, I have been lost numerous times since, sometimes physically, like on a Girl Scout trip to the theme park Opryland, USA, when my buddy and I were separated from the rest of the group, and sometimes metaphorically, like in my 20s when I was finding myself. Recently, though, I didn't know that I was lost. I was not aware that I was lost because I felt connected in many places and parts of my life, like here in our community or out with friends in San Francisco. But at the end of a long day, I was not feeling grounded or comfortable in my own dwelling. I live in a beautiful condo with a fireplace, deck, a pool, and skylights. It's beautiful but it's never felt like home. It's a quiet place, with redwoods right outside the window. It is everything I could ask for, and it is everything that our culture tells me I should want. But for some reason, it doesn't feel like a place to put down roots. I felt disconnected at home somehow. I realized that I hadn't had, a true, had true fun and joy in my apartment on a regular basis, since I moved in about two years ago. I was seeking out ways to change. Should I get a dog? I spent weeks with that question. I knew I needed a change, but I could not quite put my finger on it. Some say seeking is but a willingness to be found. I was seeking because I was lost. Then out of the blue in August, my housemate's situation changed, and I was faced with the decision to find a new housemate or a new home. In the end, new housemates and a new home found me. It was not what I was expecting. I was not looking to have two housemates. I did not expect, I did not expect to reply to someone else's ad on Craigslist, but that's how badly my search was going. But I did reply. And first thing the next morning, I had an email and a telephone call. The woman on the other end of the phone was excited. We'd like to meet you, she said, but we cannot meet here. 
something was a little sketchy with this arrangement, and they wanted to talk it through in person. Bells were going off in my head. So we met at Aroma's coffee shop in San Rafael. They told me all of their ifs and maybes and uncertain plans that they had. They have dibs on this lovely four-bedroom duplex, but there's not a firm move-in date. And oh, they've not actually been inside yet. But she pulled out her iPad to show me the pictures. Nothing was straightforward. Nothing was going by the book of what I consider normal and expected in these situations. Nothing seemed nailed down, not even the number of people who might live in this magical four-bedroom home. (laughs) That first night, we talked for two hours. We laughed for much of it. They asked me if I would consider moving in or moving with them. I said I was interested. Then we giggled and hugged, and I can feel that I was having fun, and I was building community. Over the next two weeks, every time the phone would ring or a text would come through from them with some sort of update, I would think, seriously? Again? How much more of this should I take? Then we'd sit down together, listen to one another, and my whole mood would shift. I would think, wow, we just had another great conversation and came to a resolution even if it was simply to resolve that we needed to wait a little bit on our landlord. We were all willing to hear each other. What a gift. I felt myself laughing, and I heard the joy in my voice, even among the uncertainty. I kept feeling like I was more me around them, more relaxed, more spontaneous, and somehow welcomed into their life. The roadblocks kept melting away. I no longer felt isolated and lost. I was taking risks, yes, and I was still seeking the perfect studio just in case this took a wrong turn. But I also felt as if I was part of a new community, beckoning me home, but not until maybe we're not sure October 1st. I did not know I was lost until I realized I was found. Walking forward with these two women has felt very uneasy, destabilizing, and certainly uncomfortable. Being lost has a certain ease, and although uncomfortable, it was manageable and certain. I held the power. I dictated the terms. But being found has been taking a different type of work. It's taking a willingness to renegotiate based on the needs of others, And staying found will take even more work and more long conversations about seemingly small concerns. The scribes and Pharisees in our story are lost, and they don't even know it. These Pharisees and scribes are part of, no, really the leaders of the in-group, the found. They epitomize cultural religious norms for found, They're the ones who help determine who's clean and unclean according to the religious laws. They have everything together, and they know who's in and who's out. They keep counts, and they keep score. Those people are unclean. They're out, lost. Lost until they go through our prescribed rituals, and then they can be found. Pharisees and scribes are perfectionists for all the right God-fearing reasons. They enforce the laws. 
They demand walkthroughs and 30-day notices and leases signed in advance with clear move-in dates. I like doing business with these people. I like being one of these people. And walks, in walks Jesus, and the grumbling begins as a scri- at the scribe's table. Why does Jesus insist on sitting at that other table with the unclean, the sinners, the messy, and the vulnerable? He's breaking bread with people who would not be allowed to even come into the temple to worship God. It's as if they are saying, Jesus, O great and confounding teacher of the found, why must you make yourself unclean again and sit with them? In other words, why aren't you sitting with us? We have a chair for you here. These religious leaders are not interested in the mess that comes with being unclean, lost, or vulnerable. They would never dream about moving into a place sight unseen. The vulnerability that comes with being fully human, fully connected with other people who are inevitably broken, dramatic, and messy is not on their to-do list. Is it possible to be part of a community and be lost, just like our friends at the table with Jesus? You know, as a child, I wandered off thinking I was doing the right thing, but I wound up isolated and lost. And so, too, I'd argue, are these religious leaders. Jesus is within ten feet of them, and they are disconnected, buttoned up, and missing their chance to be fully present to themselves and to others. Instead of joining in Jesus' meal, they stand outside and their heads spin, trying to figure out what's going on. They are not vulnerable. They are unwilling and unable to celebrate the community, the communion literally right in front of their faces. They are, in a word, lost. And then God incarnates, God in flesh. Jesus comes into this world to bring full humanity to them and to us, to all of us, for we are all lost at some time. Jesus hears their grumbling and tells them a parable. Jesus tells them about the love of God as a shepherd or a woman who loses one of many, and instead of letting it go, or waiting around until the coin or the sheep finds its own way, as if a sheep or a coin could just do that, the shepherd spends a wasteful amount of energy to try to find that lost sheep. And the woman scours her home, top to bottom, in the middle of night, until until the relationship is restored, until that sheep is found, until the heart is ready until the coin turns up, until we are ready, until we are willing, until someone just scoops us up and gives us a hug or laughs with us, until the timing is right, until we are able, until we have no other choice, until by God's grace, somehow or another, we are found. Jesus beckons those lost leaders towards him, inviting them, like lost coins, to be found, inviting them to rejoice when others are found, and inviting them to trust 
that God cares for all the coins, all the sheep, especially the lost ones. God's love does not stop seeking and loving the tenth coin or the hundredth sheep until they are found. And then God rejoices. The woman throws a party for all of her friends. The shepherd invites everyone to come over. God rejoices when we open our hearts to being loved for the precious coins that we are. And all the apartment seekers and all of the landlords, the children and parents, the religious leaders, and many more who make up our world and our lives, God rejoices over us. Because they are, we are, all precious in God's sight. May we rejoice as a community of connected, messy, lost, and found people. For we are so loved and so precious in God's sight.